0: Hello, everybody, um, and welcome to another episode of our podcast channel, the Professional CPD podcast channel by ourselves from Uku Tembega Construction Cost Consultants. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at contractual claims, Um, just delving more into the procedures of contractual claims so we will only look at contractual claims by the contractor we will not be dealing with claims by the employer and so before we start this topic is dealt with in much more detail in one of our courses titled standard forms of contract fundamentals where we look at the comparison between JBCC M E C FIDIC, and GCC. So please look out for this course um, or contact us for more detail. Um, As usual, I'm not alone. I have my colleague Johan Phil yoon with me. And so as we normally do, Johan and I are just going to just unpack unpack more and more into this topic and, and hopefully we all get to Take some nuggets and go and and, and and implement our projects better as we believe that we don't stop learning. We always have room for improvement. So if I can just go straight into it, Johan, just by definition, what is a claim?
1: Good day, good day, everybody. Thank you. Um yeah, by definition, I would I would in short say that um, it is understood to be a demand or a request for something which uh, is the claiming part what the claiming party considers is due to him or her so it in essence it's a submission made by one party to the other stating exactly what it deems is due and why he thinks It is due to him.
0: And so if you need to summarize contractual claims in the construction and built environment in three points, what would that be?
1: I'm going to try and keep it in three
0: points, (laughs) Q. I've
1: got a long long breath, so uh, (laughs) let me try. If it's not three, please forgive me.
0: (laughs) As long Uh, as it's at least three.
1: Three Okay, at least So I think in general, if a contractor is entitled to extension of time, cost, the cost part of it is not an automatic entitlement. And I think sometimes contractors forget that and that needs to be focused on. I'll, I'll make a couple of reference uh, in a while on that, um, a bit later on. So so if, if the contractor is entitled to time uh, and it is approved, You will Mm -hmm. need to get paid for that time-related cost. But obviously, that doesn't happen. In general, it doesn't happen automatically unless it is uh, stipulated in the specific conditions of contract or in the particulars or uh, in additional conditions or additional terms and conditions. So the contractor needs to notify um, the claim that he wants to do in relation to the cost and obviously, that needs to be in, in terms, or yeah, in terms of the conditions of contract. If I can, maybe just have a, uh, if I can refer to, so let's call it the FIDIC, the Red Book, the 99 edition, uh, at clause 4.12, which deals with unforeseeable physical conditions. I mean, it clearly, and let me read it to you. It says, if and to the extent that the contractor encounters physical conditions which are unforeseeable, gives such a notice and suffers delay and or occurs cost due to these conditions. The contractor shall be entitled subject to subclause 20.1, which deals with the contractor's claims, and you will be entitled to an extension of time. And then it refers to subclause 8.4, which expressly deals with extension of time for completion. And then the next point, it says payment of any such cost which shall be included in the contract price so it clearly differentiates between the cost part of it and the time part of it so the procedural process as stipulated in the conditions of contract um, obviously also the particulars or the specials uh, that needs to be adhered to and All the conditions of contracts, the the JBCC, the FIDIC, the NEC, and the GCC have provisions of a time barring clause, which means that if specific things do not happen within that specified time, the party claiming will lose his entitlement. Uh, And the clause and the courts do apply this rigidly. So the contractor needs to look out for that.
0: Now, Johan, the most used general conditions of contracts are the JBCC. FIDIC, NEC, and the GCC. Which ones are you going to be taking us through and unpacking during this episode?
1: Okay, so we'll, um, in these four, let let's let me start with FIDIC. Uh, we'll be looking at the first edition, the 1999, the Red Book, as it's also known. The JBCC will be the 6.2 May 2018, the PBA, which is the principal uh, building agreement. The NEC will be the NEC 4 with the June 2017 uh, uh, edition with the amendments of January 2019. And then the GCC or the General Conditions of Contract for Construction Works will be the third edition, the 2015 one.
0: Now, if you were to mention one thing that stands out, if these conditions of contracts are compared with regard to the procedures, what would you mention in terms of um the thing that stands out? What would that be?
1: Yeah. I think on on in, in generality, it will definitely be the NEC uh, contracts. I think the procedure is completely different than the other. Uh, general conditions, mm-hmm. and I think if just for example, if if I can say, in the NEC, the project manager, uh, if he does not mm-hmm. reply to a specific submission mm-hmm. in relation to a what as NEC calls it the compensation event notification or equitation, then those uh, submissions or the reply is time bar and there's specific sanctions to it. So if 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 the contractor submits, submits the compensation event notification and there's no reply within the specified time, then it's treated as, as accepted. So if we equally look at the FIDIC and the GCC, there's no strict sanction if the engineer does not reply to the contractor's claim within the, uh, the stated time. Mm-hmm. And in the JBCC, if the PA does not reply to the contractor's claim within the stated period, then it is deemed refused. So the NEC works different. And I think it's a bit more bit more equally distributed between the parties. The the mm. I want to I want to call it fairness between the yeah, parties. Yeah, there is a
0: lot of fairness with NEC. <laughs> So let's start with fiddic, Johan. Explain to us in short how the procedure works with fiddic.
1: You say in short, uh, Q. (laughs) (laughs) Let's try. Let's try.
0: It's not so short. (laughs) It's definitely not so short.
1: (laughs) Um, Right. I think most of the things or the procedural thing starts in clause twenty point one clearly states in the specific clause what the procedural requirements are and I think the firstly uh, a notice must be provided or submitted by the contractor within 28 days of the contractor becoming aware or when the contractor should have become aware of the event or circumstance so I think that's very important and It also clearly states that if the notice, that specific notice is not submitted within a a 28-day period, the contractor will will lose its entitlement completely. So that's a time-barring clause, um, which the contractors must obviously be aware of. If it's not done, then you will lose his entitlement and everything just stops there. So um, and I think apart from this notice in clause 20.1, The contractor is also required to submit any other notices as required in the conditions of contract and if i can maybe do an example and refer to clause 4.12 again on the unforeseeable physical conditions uh let me just read that and then i think there would be a bit more clarity on it so in the second paragraph, it states, if the contractor encounters adverse physical conditions, which he considers to have been unforeseeable, the contractor shall give notice to the engineer as soon as practical. And then it goes on and state what the notice must say, or what must be included in the notice. So this notice shall describe the physical conditions, so that they can be inspected by the engineer and shall set out the reasons why the contractor considers them to be unforeseeable. The contractor shall continue executing the words, using such proper and reasonable measures, and so on and so on. So it's quite clear that there's a, another notice. Uh, another notice must be submitted by the contractor to the engineer. And I was on a project I was involved in with this specific notice was required and the notice was not submitted and the argument from the engineer was that the employer's interest was prejudiced because of this notice that was not submitted and it couldn't be inspected and it couldn't be mitigated and so on and so on now rightly or wrongly that was the argument and um, I think it's just a good example to indicate that anywhere in the in FIDIC where these additional notices must be submitted, the contractor must submit them as soon as possible. Otherwise, there will be another hurdle that um, the contractor has to overcome, which is, in, <laughs> to say the least, I think, uh, unnecessary. Um And then, okay, if you go on, the the notice has been submitted now, or all the notices that's been submitted, and then the contractor needs to submit a fully fully detailed claim within 42 days of becoming aware or when he should have become aware of the event or circumstance. So uh, there's a 28-day period, and then you've got 42 days, not from day 28, but from when he should have become aware of the event or circumstance. submit it. So for example, if the engineer instructed the stoppage of work for a specific reason, uh, which is not as a result of the contractor's failure, but but something else, then the contractor must submit the fully detailed claim within the 42-day period. So if the stoppage continues for, let's say, 60 days, in other words, it's then an, an ongoing event. The contractor must submit and update monthly as an interim claim. So, if it's if it if it's longer than uh, the 42-day period, then uh, updates must be submitted as interim claims. So, in, in this instance, a final claim shall be submitted then within 28 days after the end of the effect resulting from the event or circumstance. So then, you've got 28 days after. Uh, after the event or the circumstance so the contractor may if if the contractor cannot make these interim claims or claims in the specific time period he may write to the engineer and he then may propose a new submission date or period and the engineer can then respond and say yes or no obviously it needs to be, be needs to be fair but uh, a longer period may be agreed between the engineer and the contractor. So uh, the engineer is also then when the submission is made, the engineer is required to determine the claim in accordance with clause 3.5 and within 42 days after receiving the claim, or if he requests additional information, he's got 42 days to evaluate or determine the claim. I think it's a, Uh, what is of importance here is that the engineer, even if further particulars are still outstanding from the contractor, the engineer must give his response on the principles of the claim within the 42 days. So he needs to to let the contractor know, yes, the principle of this is this is correct. So that would be accepted. And for example, the other part, no, that's not accepted for this and this reason. So the principles must be must be uh, uh, responded on within the 42 days period. So, and and again, remember, uh, we, we touched the, uh, the topic a bit earlier. Remember that if an extension of time is required, clause 8.2, 8, 8.4 must be referred to. It does give you a list of, of, of uh, events that uh, attracts additional time, so that needs to be uh, referred to in your in your claim submission. If mm-hmm. cost is claimed, the specific clause or clauses must be referred to because that tells the engineer or the individual that's determining the claim, it gives them the detail and say, This is my entitlement, and this is be this these clauses is the reason why I have an entitlement to it. So it's very important to um To get that into this this submission, so I think what contractors sometimes and engineers for that matter sometimes forget is um, clause three point five, because three point five is also very much part of the procedure. Now, clause three point five. Let me just read it, Um, or maybe before I read it. In most of the FIDIC contracts that and projects that I was involved with, some of the engineers they're not so. I don't want to use the word keen, but they they do determine the the claim. But there's no really taking clause 3.5, for that matter, into consideration in consideration for the for the full meaning of it, if I can call it that. But let's, let's just read it and uh, we'll discuss it quickly. So it says, whenever these conditions provide that the engineer shall proceed in accordance with the subclause 3.5 to agree or determine any matter, the engineer shall, not maybe or can, shall consult with each party in an endeavor to reach agreement. If agreement is not achieved, the engineer shall make a fair determination in accordance with the contract taking due regard of all relevant circumstances. Now, you will see it says shall consult with each party. That means the employer and the contractor in an endeavor to reach agreement. Now, with most of the FIDIC projects that I was involved with, I only on one specific project, this clause was applied in its full sense and meaning, not on one of the others. So what did what did just what I want to say is that the engineer should consult with each party and I would suggest that it needs to be done in one forum just to make sure that there's impartiality shown um, by the engineer. Because remember, in this position now, he needs to be independent. Mm-hmm. Because he needs to look at all the circumstances, taking the due regard of all relevant circumstances. And it also says there must be a fair determination. And the only way to do that is to be impartial.
0: And just to mention also that um, the clauses that Johan refers to in terms of the Fedic they are also dealt with in more detail in our training manuals and our manuals also include a list of these clauses and this is found in that course called standard forms of contract fundamentals where we do the comparison between JBCC NEC FIDIC and GCC and so just to move on um Johan what how how do the procedures work when it comes to JBCC? Can you please just take us through that and unpack the details for us?
1: Okay, uh, exactly the same as FIDIC. No, okay. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> so, um, so if we if we look at clause twenty three point one, that clause mm. provides a list of events which entitles the contractor to a revision. Of the date of practical completion only. In other words, okay. time only, no cost. Clause uh, 23.2 provides a list of events which entitles the contractor to revision of the date for practical completion and an adjustment of the contract value. So there's the time and the cost. And Clause 23.3, also entitles the contractor to a revision of the date for practical completion and an adjustment of the contract value, which is due to um, any other cause beyond the contractor's control that could not have been reasonably been anticipated or provided for. So I think it's quite wide. Um, it should make uh, provision for any, any event or circumstance which the contractor uh, will experience so if we look at the time only part of it the procedures behind it so again Mm -hmm. here the contractor is required um to notify the principal agent within 20 working days so you can you can see uh, the jbcc is dealing with the working days and Fidic was dealing with calendar days so it's Mm -hmm. 20 working days of becoming aware or ought reasonably to have become aware of the potential delay so you don't need to uh, maybe be in already the event hasn't been or it's not necessary for the event to have occurred already it is even if it's if there's a potential uh, delay so if the notice is not submitted within the stipulated period the 20 working days the contractor shall forfeit such a claim. So again, there's a time-barring issue to this one. And if it's not submitted, the contractor will lose all his entitlement and the process obviously just stops there. Mm -hmm. Um, And if the notice is now submitted, things are going on and the uh, event has occurred, so then the contractor uh, must submit a detailed claim within 40 Working days from when the contractor is able to quantify the delay in terms of the program. So this is when it's the the, uh, the event is dealing with uh, time only, and you or the contractor is the 40-day enti- uh, period in which he needs to submit the fully detailed claim uh, after uh, he's been able to quantify the delay in terms of the program. So okay. the the PA the principal agent then has got. 20 working days to respond to that uh, fully detailed claim submitted by the contractor so it's Mm -hmm. 20 working days on receipt of that specific claim so and it also goes as far to state that if the PA doesn't respond to that within the 20 20 working days then it is deemed refused so then there's additional steps thereafter, obviously that the contractor uh, can take but I think it's fairly straightforward with your periods that you've got to submit the notice, submit the claim, and the PA to respond. If he doesn't respond, it's refused. Mm-hmm. If we look at the, then the other parts of it, which you've got an adjustment to contract value, uh, so here as well, the contractor must notify the principal agent within a 20 working day period of becoming aware, or, or reasonably to have become aware of the uh, expense or loss so if this notice is not submitted within this stipulated period, the 20 working days, the contractor shall forfeit such a claim. So again, there's a time time barring clause to it. If it's not done, the process stops and it track It tracks. And there's nothing nothing the contractor will be able to do if he doesn't submit that notice. Okay. So if he's if he's submitted his notice in time. Then the contractor needs to submit a detailed and substantiated claim for the adjustment of the contract value within forty working days. So um, this forty days that the clause doesn't state expressly from forty days from what doesn't state that. Mm. So it's always I normally say um, if if. Just to, just to make sure that there's no ambiguity or argument afterwards. So it's advisable to interpret this 40 working days from when the contractor became aware or ought to reasonably to have become aware because that's your earlier time or your earlier duration and not when the event has ceased because if you, if you will do that, then there may be other hurdles you need to overcome. So um, rather interpret it that way, or request as early as possible an, an uh, extension or yeah a, a new period in which you can submit the claim. So agree that thing with the principal agent in writing. Um, yeah, as I said, this will just make sure that there's no no arguments later, and which um, jeopardizes the the, the the contractor's claim. So if the substantiated claim cannot be submitted within this period. Then the PA may allow additional. The principal agent may allow additional uh, time, as I said. So that's important um, not to go, not to wait too late to make this request. I mean, everybody knows the contractor or the employer's representative. It's just practically just becomes impossible to get a response within twenty-four hours. So rather do it in reasonable time. So if the, if the uh, fully substantiated claim has been submitted, the principal agent has 20 working days to deal with the submission and, and again the same as the other one if the PI fails to respond within this 20 working days period the claim is deemed refused and then the contractor will have other recourses if he feels it's necessary There's another recourse which he can uh, pursue in this specific instance.
0: Now, how does the procedure work in the NEC?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the NEC is different from the other conditions of contract, which I think it it, it def- definitely distributes the fairness a bit between both parties. Um, as I said, the, the JBCC and the... Uh, or the JBCC if the PA doesn't respond then reply to the claim submitted then it's deemed rejected the NEC works a bit different so if we if we look at the process then um, it will most probably start at clause 15 which requires the parties and that's both parties to submit early warning notifications if either becomes aware of any matter uh, which could increase the total of the prices or delay completion or delay a meeting a key date or impair the performance of the works in use so there needs to be a a early warning notice submitted so in summary if if everything goes according to how it should happen then it would be a compensation or the early warning notice compensation event notification the approval of that uh, compensation event notification then that approval is then also an instruction to submit a quotation the quotation then gets submitted the pm accepts it and then it's implemented
0: all right but as we know in most cases it is not as smooth as that right
1: no definitely not i mean it's construction it,
0: yeah,
1: I want to say it never yeah. in most in, instances it doesn't go according to plan and the things mm. are different and one party doesn't comply to the contract or the procedure then things goes a bit haywire but however so if an early warning is not submitted then and the contractor submits a compensation event notification the contractor's his entitlement is not lost but there may be discussions again, discussions around the client was prejudiced and so on. And again, then then it becomes another hurdle the contractor must come over, which is not necessary. So just just submit the early warning notice. Um, just makes the makes it easier going forward. So if the early warning notice has been submitted, then the next step would be to look at clause sixty point one. Uh, clause 60.1 has a lot of uh, uh, or a, a list of compensation events, which I think is is, is quite clear uh, and understandable. So, the contractor then just needs to see in which which bracket or in which one that specific event or circumstance fall falls in, and make make reference to that specific clause. Then, uh, clause 61. Uh, stipulates the compensation event notification process so in short the contractor must he must submit a notification to the project manager within 8 weeks of becoming aware that the event has happened so it's not potential the event has happened so 8 weeks period within that.
0: And then I guess if the contractor does not submit his notification within that eight week period, then it seems like he loses that entitlement, I guess, right?
1: you do you you see how good these podcasts are? Because, yeah, you're right. (laughs) He loses his entitlement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If it's not not submitted (laughs) within the eight weeks period, he loses his entitlement. So it's also a Mm. time-barring clause as all the other uh, general conditions. So, although in the specific clause where the eight weeks are mentioned in the NEC, there's um, specific instances which the eight-week period does not come into play. But I will not elaborate on it now, and I think the contractor must just have that mindset of eight weeks for any Mm -hmm. event or circumstance because then there's no no arguments or ambiguities around it again mm-hmm. so okay. if if that notification is submitted then the PM needs to reply to the compensation event notification within one week so he's got one week that he needs to reply to that, now the reply is either acceptance or a reply that the prices, the completion date or the key dates are not to be changed and the PM must provide reasons for it So that's the only reply he can give, nothing else. So um, if it is accepted, then the PM instructs the contractor to submit a quotation. So he says, okay, Mr. Contractor, submit a quotation, and then um, the contractor needs to submit a quotation. But if the PM does not reply within that period, the one week, the contractor is then required to submit a failure notice. To the project manager so Mm -hmm. so let's say the notification has been submitted by the contractor uh the project manager has one week to respond to that project manager doesn't respond to it the contractor submits a, a a failure notice and if that failure notice is submitted the project manager has then again another two weeks to which he can respond to that notification so if the PM, the project manager, then again fails to reply to that two weeks uh, failure notice, then that specific compensation event is treated as accepted, and it's also uh, seen as an instruction to submit quotations. So then, so then the contractor has then three weeks to submit a quotation, um, and that three weeks is from when the instruction is given, or when it's deemed given. In other words if the uh, project manager has failed to reply to that failure notice. So that's when the right. time starts to run. The contractor p- prepares uh, the quotation and the conditions of contract, I think, is very clear on what must be included and how the contractor must go about in calculating the delay and the cost. So uh, our you will know our NEC course delves a bit deeper into this. Yep. So,
0: yep.
1: if the contractor then submits the quotation, then the project manager has to reply to it within two weeks.
0: Then what does that reply look like? What must that reply be?
1: So, I think, again, and what makes NEC, uh, I want to say, user-friendly, very much administrative uh, uh, bound, if I can call it that. Um, so, the response is only one of the following. It is either acceptance of the quotation, which means then it needs to it's implemented, or it's an instruction to submit a revised quotation. So obviously, then the project manager didn't agree with something on that specific quotation, uh, or that the project manager will make uh, his own assessment. So that's that's the uh, responses that he can give: either acceptance, re- resubmit or a revised quotation, or he will do the assessment himself. It's important that the project manager must provide reason if he if he uh, 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 instructs a revised quotation. You can't just say submit a revised quotation. You must give reasons for it. So obviously, I mean, you can't you can't say no. It's not because you not charging for the stormers, or it needs to be a reasonable reason for instructing the revised quotation. Um, and then the process starts again so then a revised if he instructs a revised quotation you need to sub, or the contractor needs to submit that revised quotation within three weeks again and um, if the project manager is to make his own assessment it is also required within a three weeks period so it's also important to note that um, if that there is no limit to how many times the project manager may instruct the revised quotation. So the conditions of contract doesn't state no, it's limited to five revised quotations before the project manager can make his own assessment. But I think a reasonable project manager will maybe go for one or two instructions for a revised quotation. And then if he's still not happy or there's still no agreement to it, then he needs to do his own assessment to it. I don't think because it just in in practice, it just wastes everybody's time if he just keeps on instructing a revised quotation. So if these quotations are submitted, then the PM uh, obviously has got his time period in which he needs to reply to it. And if he doesn't reply within this two-week period, the contractor again needs to submit a failure notice. So if he submits that failure notice, then the uh a uh, project manager again has a time period into which he needs to respond to that quotation submission and failure notice. So, if if the project manager replies within this two-week period, the, then the process will continue as described, as what we said. So, the quite, um, if it's not if he doesn't reply to it within that two-week period of the failure notice, the quotation is then treated as accepted and must be implemented. Um, The other thing that needs to be uh, looked at is if the contractor is informed that the PM will be doing the assessment, the PM is also, uh, he's got three weeks to do his assessment in. So it's the same time period that the contractor has got to submit his own quotation to the project manager.
0: So then just for clarity in this instance, Johan, if the project manager does not make the assessment within that three weeks, what must that contractor do?
1: So again, if the PM does not make the assessment within this period, the contractor must submit a failure notice once again, or not once again, obviously a new failure notice. Okay. So it's, And if that failure continues for a further two weeks, the contractor... Uh, or the quotation that's submitted by the contractor is then treated as accepted. So I think it's, it's, it can definitely be seen that this process is completely different than the other conditions of contract. And, and me personally, I actually like this process because it's got strict timelines to it. There's, yeah. there's sanctions to each, each one if there's not a response. Um, so I think it makes it, uh, there's more type of a pig in the ground for mm-hmm. both parties to know okay this and this process can take this long and um I think it's it's clear to submit the quotation a reply within this period if it doesn't reply there's failure notices quotations yes. no mm-hmm. response failure notice if there's a response the response needs to be this so I think it's important that that both parties keep to these keeps uh, to these timelines and it makes it quite a, you know, a workable uh, procedure for both parties. Uh, and again, I, it's mm-hmm. one that I, that I quite like. But I think this is the shortened version <laughs> of the process. Um, yeah. And I think if, if it really, if you really, you know, dig down into into detail, uh, what's, what happens if the contractor doesn't submit his quotation within the, the three weeks and he submits it in four weeks and you know what happens and so but I think this is a shortened version of it uh which which definitely will uh, be of assistance to the to the listeners.
0: Now let's look at the last edition of the contracts how does the procedure work in the GCC
1: uh right so the GCC I think is a is a non-complicated process Uh, Clause 10.1 provides the details of the procedure, like FIDIC in 20.1, GCC is 10.1. So the contractor is to submit a fully detailed claim, which means the particulars, the contract provisions, the time that he's claiming and the amount of money within 28 days after the event or the circumstance has arisen. So, in some instances, obviously, this will be possible. In some instances, it won't be possible. So, but if it's possible, if it's a, if it's a short event, one day, two days, then obviously, this would be possible, and the contractor submits his, his claim within the 28 days period. But if it is not possible, if the contractor is not able uh, to either provide the particulars, the contract provisions, the time that is claiming or the amount within this period of 28 days, then the contractor uh, needs to submit a notice to the employer's agent within the 28 day period. And it's in essence this notice is to state that he, the contractor intends to make a claim. So if you if you if you can submit a claim, you submit it if you can't submit the claim, 28 days uh, no, or notice within the 28 days so if the event is ongoing then it works very similar to the uh, fidic then updates must be submitted monthly and a final claim must be submitted within 28 days after the end of the events if you can't uh, if it's if it's longer than the 28 day period you submit monthly updates and you need to submit a claim. A final claim within 28 days after the event. So I think that's quite clear. So the and the, when that claim is submitted, then the employer's agent must make a ruling within 28 days from the, receiving the contractor's claim. So again, he's then he's got then a 28 day period to to make a ruling on the claim. And I think what's of importance here is uh, clause 5.12. That clause entitles the contractor to extension of time only, and then. The conditions of contract uh, has got through the contract, it's got again clauses of where you can claim costs and time. So you need to uh, have a look. It's the same principles as FIDIC. These clauses must obviously be referenced in your claim because that provides the basis of the claim. Um, and there's also a, 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 a time-barring clause for the GCC, and it's not only on the notice, but also on the final claim submission. So contractors need to be aware of that.
0: Now, Johan, I know you've mentioned in some of the previous um, conditions that if the contractor cannot submit the claim within the given time, then the contractor and the employer's representative can agree on a revised period for submission. Would you would you then say that this is the same case also for GCC?
1: Yes, yes, Q. Definitely, um, clause ten point one point five point one does provide that option. Uh, so, I think definitely the the contractor and the employer's agent needs to you know be. Be also fair about it. If there's uh, time constraints which cannot be met, then the contractor must submit and uh, agree with the employer's agent to see if that period can be extended. Because the, as I mentioned, that if this is a 28 day period is not complied with, the contractor will lose his entitlement, um, not just on the notice, but as well on the, on the, on the, on the claim. So I think it's, it's very relevant. That um, the contractor needs to make such a request if it's if it's required, and again it needs to be done in reasonable time. Yeah, you, I think in, in, again this is this is the short procedure for the GCC. And um, if if some of the listeners need some more assistance or have got more questions, uh, please contact us regarding that.
0: In closing of this episode, yeah. what should contractors look out for when submitting claims, Johan?
1: I think the safest thing is uh, just don't get involved in construction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. We love we love construction. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Every day is different. Every day is different. Uh, mm. Q, yeah, I think in, in, in summary, um, that I think the contractor needs to ensure that he stays within the specific time periods the engineer or the employer's representative needs to make sure he stays within those specific time periods. Um, that's for notices and claims. Another thing which I know for a fact contractors are not that that keen on, or sometimes gets gets. <laughs> let's, let's let me rather use the word forgotten. Is uh, contemporary records because that obviously that. Forms a uh, forms part of the evidence uh, that's submitted to substantiate the claim. So the contemporary records are very much important. And another thing is also the uh, there needs to be open communications between the employer's representative and the contractor. And um, contractor needs to just keep the keep the employer uh, the representative informed. Of an ongoing event, what's happening, where they at, what mitigation factors are, are are implemented, and so on. So just to have that open channel of communication. Uh, I think it also just makes, if it, if 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 there's open discussions, then it, the value and time, it's just an, uh, part of the human nature. It's just more palatable for the other party at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. Contractors are contractors um, and it needs to be, contractors needs to be transparent. Don't have something here up the sleeve, be open. Um, And I think that also goes for the employers representative, be transparent, be open. Then things are generally resolved on a more fair basis and uh, much quicker. So be be transparent, um, and the contractor needs to make sure that the submissions clearly, clearly, clearly identifies the, the cause, the effect, and also refer to the clauses that the contractors are relying on. Because if if this is not detailed, then the claim, in essence, it will be stillborn because you've got the contract's got one bite at the cherry. There's no two bites at the cherry. So make sure there's sufficient detail of it, sufficient contemporary records. Uh, the clauses are referenced correctly. Uh, the other thing that needs to be uh, looked at is um, the notices needs to include whatever is required by that specific condition of contract. So if, if the if the clause says that the notice needs to include a description of the event, make sure there is a description of the event. If it says you need to put the clauses in that you intend on uh, uh, base your claim on, make sure it's included. Um, yeah, it just makes make, makes things easier. And then there's, as I a lot of times said, then it doesn't create an additional hurdle you need to get over. And I think the the, the last one is the most important of all of them. And I know there's relationships and there's emotions involved in it. And the engineer and the contractor actually needs to, or I'm saying engineer, the employer's representative in general needs to steer away from emotions. Uh, There's a contract in place and the contract needs to be honored by both, both parties and their representatives. So if there's a doubt to submit a notice Submitted, because if that notice is not in there is no entitlement or a potential entitlement even a notice can always be retracted it can always be cancelled but if there's no notice there's nothing and I, I think that's that's the important if there's if there's any doubt submit it so q yeah i think that's it that's it from my side thanks a lot
0: thanks Thanks very much, Johan. Thank you for your time. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we've actually come to the end of today's topic, which was unpacking the procedures um, under claims or contractual claims. And we hope that this was an insightful conversation or rather an insightful process flow. And we certainly hope that um, it, it, it will help or just cast doubt if somebody had any doubt before listening to this podcast. And so thank you very much for your time, for tuning into our podcast. Until next time, we'll chat to you again.